Please take your Bibles. We're going to look at two different books of the Bible as we open the sermon today. The first one is John chapter 1, verse 14. And the second is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. So John 1, 14, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. But as we go through the sermon, I'm, I am going to have you look back at a little bit of Leviticus 16, the text Blair read a moment ago, and even Hebrews chapter 9, the text that Krista read a moment ago as they lit the Advent wreath. So we're going to be engaged in the scriptures today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Amen. It's exciting to come to the Word of God. If you're able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. This is John chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices... There is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask your blessings upon the preaching of thy word this morning. Open our ears and our hearts to receive it. Remove every distraction from this place. Fill me, God, with your spirit that I might preach in a way that is pleasing unto thee. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I just read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. I want to read the first portion of that verse one more time. Listen to this closely. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. With that in mind, I want to tell you a story. One of my most vivid memories as a child came when I was about 9 or 10 years old. When I was about 9 or 10, I'd go into my room at night when it was bedtime and I'd turn off all the lights but before I got in bed, I made sure my door to my room was open so that I could see out my door into the hallway. And I would make sure that the hallway light was on. So once my lights in my room were off and the hallway light was on, I would jump back in bed. And the reason I did that is so I could lay in bed in the dark and I could wait for my mom or dad to come down the hall and tell me goodnight. And the fact that the hall light was on and the door was open meant that I could see out the room into the hallway. Now, the way the lights were set up in my hallway, here's how it worked. When I would lay in bed and I would look out the door, I could always see the shadow of one of my parents on the wall before 
I saw my parent enter into the room. So let's say my dad was coming to to put me to bed. My dad's here today, so I'm going to use him as the example. If my dad was coming to put me down for bed, I would be laying in my bed, looking out the door, and I would see the shadow of my father on the wall coming down the hall. And I knew immediately in my mind, my dad's coming. My dad's coming into my room to tell me good night. And that shadow was almost like a comfort for me as a child, knowing that once I saw the shadow, I knew my mom or my dad was coming down the hall. In a real sense, you could say the shadow pointed to the reality. I saw the shadow first, and then I saw the reality of my dad coming into my room to tell me good night. I tell you this story this morning because as we read this text from Hebrews chapter 10, it also talks about shadows and realities. And in this case, in Hebrews chapter 10, it teaches us that the Old Testament law is a shadow. The books of Moses, think about that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The law, the Bible says, is a shadow. And that shadow is there to point us to a greater reality. Something better that is to come. Indeed, we know what the something better is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But the law was a shadow that pointed us to a reality. At this point, you might be asking, Adam, what in the world does that story have to do with Advent? And the Advent series that we're talking about, remember, we're talking about Christ coming to fulfill those Old Testament roles of prophet, shepherd, priest, and king. Two weeks ago, we heard from the prophets, that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the office of prophet. A week ago, Daryl stood at this pulpit and taught us how Christ came to fulfill the role of, of shepherd. That the Old Testament says that God is our shepherd, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Today we're looking at priest. So maybe a better question is this, what in the world does that story have to do with the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Beloved, the Bible teaches us so much about the law of God. It teaches us so much about the work of the priests in the tabernacle. Blair read just a moment ago from Leviticus 16. I know it was a long text, but I hope you were able to hang on to most of those points. Because Leviticus 16 talks about the priest and the tabernacle on one specific day of the year. The day of atonement. It's the day when the high priest would go into the holy of holies to make sacrifices for himself and for the people of God. But what we're going to find today as we kind of step back and see Leviticus 16 through the lens of Christ what we're going to find is that entire story, Leviticus 16, is nothing but a shadow. It is a shadow that points us to a greater reality. The shadow of the priest in the tabernacle point us toward the reality of the great high priest who will one day come and tabernacle among us, even the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ fulfills all the shadows of the Old Testament. You know, just as 
those shadows on my hallway wall pointed toward the fact that my dad was coming down the hall. The shadow of the law of God, the Bible says, points us to the reality that Jesus Christ would come and be our high priest. Today we're going to look at shadows and realities. And in doing that, I want you to see these three points from all the texts that were read today. The first is this. I want you to see the shadow of the tabernacle and the presence of Christ. If you want to write these down, actually they're already written in your bulletin. If you'll look at the pastoral message in the center of that, I have these three points. The shadow of the tabernacle and the reality of the presence of Christ. Number two, I want you to see the shadow of Aaron and the reality of the priesthood. And number three, the shadow of bulls and goats and the reality of the sacrifice and the forgiveness of Christ. Let's look at shadows and realities. Number one, let's see the shadow of the tabernacle and the reality of the presence of Christ. I'm going to jump back for just a moment. Blair read from Leviticus 16. This is Leviticus 16, verse 2. The Bible says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Before we go any further, let's answer this question. What is the tabernacle? And what was going on inside of the tabernacle? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at the book of Exodus. And we remember the story that God chose Moses. And through the hand of Moses, God would lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land. And after ten plagues, after being chased by Pharaoh... After crossing the Red Sea, the people of God went into the Sinai Peninsula and they began to wander in the wilderness. And at that time, the Bible says there were 12 tribes of Israel. And as they all lived and camped in the Sinai Peninsula, the Bible said they were doing that in tents, that everybody was living in a tent. So when God sees that everyone is living in a tent, he tells Moses, I want a tent. I too want a tent, and I want to put my tent in your camp. In fact, Moses, here's how it's going to work. You have 12, ti- 12 tribes, 12 divided by 4 is 3. So take three of those tribes, and they're going to camp to the north, three are going to camp to the east, three more are going to camp to the south, and three more are going to camp to the west. And once that's set up like that, right in the middle of that camp, God says, that's where I want you to put my tent. And my tent is going to be called the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And when you build my tent, God says, it has to be perfect. It has to have a certain measurement and a certain design. And if you've read the book of Exodus, you know how God goes into great detail of how that tent is to be constructed. And it was to be right in the middle of the camp. And I think what, one of the things God was saying to the Israelites was this, I want to be right in the middle of your life. Every direction that people will be looking as they camp towards the middle, that's where they're going to find my tent. I need to be the center. I need to be the focal point of your lives. And God said, when you construct this tent, there's got to be specific rooms 
in this tent. There's got to be room called the holy place and another one called the most holy place. And separating the two needs to be a big curtain, a big thick curtain. And inside this most holy place, God said, there's got to be certain items. That's where you put the Ark of the Covenant. And in that Ark needs to be my law, my standards, the tablets that were written. That needs to go into the Ark. And on the top of that Ark, the lid of it, it needs to be called the mercy seat. And by the way, not just anybody can go into that room. Only the high priest can go into that room. And that once a year. And as we read the text from Leviticus, here's what it says. It says, on the day of atonement, when the high priest goes behind the curtain to enter the most holy place, what does God say? He says, I'm going to come down. I'm going to manifest my presence right above that mercy seat. And you are going to know that I am dwelling with you, that I am with you. I'm going to come down and my glory will be manifested right there in the most holy place. And God says, you're going to know that I'm with you. And as we continue to read Exodus, we find that it's not just in the most holy place that God manifests his presence. In fact, if you read the last chapter of Exodus, we find that the entire tabernacle was filled with the glory of God. So it didn't matter if you were north, east, south, or west. You could look into the middle and you could see the glory of God. You could see God coming down and dwelling in a tent just as you have lived in tents. Now, that's the Old Testament story, isn't it? That's the picture that Leviticus gives us of God coming down and dwelling with his people in the tent. But what have we already learned? That's a shadow. That's a shadow that points us to something better, something greater that is to come. And that, of course, is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's right here that we get to the book of John, chapter 1. Verse 14. We read it a moment ago. I'll I'll reread it once again. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's something going on in this verse that you can't see in English. You can only see it in Greek. Let me tell you what's going on. Do you see that phrase in English, dwelt among us, right there in 114? In Greek, that's actually the word tabernacle made into a verb. Tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? It was a tent, right? It was God's tent. But God came down and manifested his presence in the tabernacle, right? God showed his glory. In the tabernacle. Everybody had a tent. They were all camping in tents. So God says, I want a tent and I will show you my glory in my tent. But that was a shadow. It was a shadow that pointed to the reality of Jesus Christ who would not come in a tent, but who would come how? In flesh and blood. Because every one of us have flesh and blood. 
just like everybody had a tent and God dwelt in a tent, everybody has flesh and blood. And God says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to pitch my tent with you. I'm going to tabernacle with you. I'm going to dwell with you and I'm going to show you my glory. For it was John who saw Jesus glorified even here on this earth. And what was God saying to us? He's saying, I'm with you. I will dwell with you. Do you remember that shadow I showed you in the Old Testament? See the reality. See Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, coming to dwell with you in his flesh and in his blood. The tabernacle was only a shadow. The cloud over the mercy seat was only a shadow. The cloud covering the tabernacle was only a shadow, beloved. Jesus Christ, he's the reality. So we see the shadow of the tabernacle, the reality of Jesus Christ. But secondly, this morning, this text shows us the shadow of Aaron and the reality of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. What was the function of a priest? If you remember, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the difference and the similarities between a prophet and a priest. And and I told you, um, I got this illustration from R.C. Sproul. The Lord took him home this week. He's with the Lord. What a wonderful man of God he was and is. He's with the Good Shepherd right now. But here's what R.C. Sproul said about the prophet and the priest. He said they're both similar. They're both mediators between God and men. He said the prophet, the difference was that the prophet stood with the authority of God behind him and he spoke to the people on behalf of God. But the priest did the exact opposite. The priest stood with the testimony of the people behind him and he spoke to the Lord on behalf of the people. The priest's function was that of intercession, was that of making sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. And we remember from the Old Testament, even right there in Leviticus 16, Aaron, who was Moses' brother, was the first high priest. And in Leviticus 16, did you notice this? God told Moses to tell Aaron at least three things. He said, Aaron, this is when you come, this is how to come, and this is what to bring. When, how, and what to bring. He said, Aaron, here's when you come. You can't just come behind that curtain anytime you want. You can't. You can only come one day a year, Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And Aaron, you can't come any way you want Let me tell you how you got to come. First of all, you got to go take a bath. And after you take a bath, you've got to put on the undergarment. And then you got to put on the robe. And then you got to put on the sash. Then you got to put on the turban. You have to get ready to come into my presence. And by the way, Aaron, I got to tell you what to bring. And this is very important. Listen closer to this. I said, Aaron, you better bring something. You better have something in your hands when you walk behind that curtain. And it better be the blood sacrifice of an animal, of a bull, of a ram, of a goat, whatever it may be. You better have something in your hands 
When you walk behind that curtain, you got to come the way I tell you, when I tell you. You need to bring the things I tell you to bring. But as we zoom in and we study this story about Aaron, and not just Aaron, but all the priests that came after him, here's what we find. We find that there's at least three major, major problems with Aaron and all the priests that went after him when it came to doing this work of the Day of Atonement. Let me give you these three. We'll just use Aaron as our example. The first problem was Aaron lacked perfection. He was a sinner. Did you notice when Blair was reading that long passage out of Leviticus 16, verse 6 in that passage, there was a whole verse dedicated to a bull that was to be sacrificed for Aaron and his family. You see, even before Aaron could make sacrifices for the people, he had to make a sacrifice for himself. You know why? He wasn't perfect. He was fallen. He was broken. He was depraved just like you and I are. He lacked perfection. And the priesthood needed perfection, but he didn't have it. The second problem was he lacked immortality. He was mortal. He was going to die. And because he was going to die, he couldn't continue to make intercession for the people of God. Remember, that was his job. He's this mediator between God and, and men, and he's supposed to be making intercession on behalf of the people to God. But he was going to die. And the priest after him, they were going to die. That's a problem. In fact, Hebrews says it this way in chapter 7, that the priests were prevented by death from continuing in office. No one, not Aaron or the priest after him, no one was able to continually make these sacrifices. Which leads us to the third problem. Aaron lacked permanence. He lacked permanence. What he did had no end. He did it over and over and over. From Hebrews 10, that, those first four verses that we read, it says that the priests did this coming to the Holy of Holies every single year. Every single year. And they did it as a, it was an annual reminder of their sin. Do you get annual reminders in the mail? Maybe about something. I got an annual reminder this week. A car insurance is due in January. Maybe yours is too. We get an annual reminder April 15th of every year, don't we? Taxes are due. I got a question. Just because you paid your car insurance last year, does that mean you don't have to pay it this year? You still got to pay it, right? Just because you paid your taxes last year, does that mean you don't have to pay them next year? We got, we, we got to keep paying, right? We get this annual reminder. It's like you ask yourself, is this ever going to end? Or am I going to keep paying for insurance my entire life? The answer is yes. Am I going to keep paying taxes? Yes. Aaron could have been saying, man, is this ever going to end? Bringing the sacrifice behind this curtain? 
And after I die, someone else picks it up and does it. Is this ever going to end? And you're saying, am I ever going to get finished? His work lacked permanence. So we see he lacked perfection, he lacked immortality, and he lacked permanence. But let's stop and back up. Because I want to tie all of this together right now. You see, when we start looking at this story through the lens of Jesus Christ, only then will it make sense. Remember a couple weeks ago, I gave you a verse, Luke 24, 44. Jesus said that the whole Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms were all about him. That's one of those key verses you got to have locked in your memory. It's all about him. When we understand that Jesus is saying this story was about him, we see clearly what's going on. That this story of Leviticus 16 is just a shadow. It's a shadow that is pointing us to a greater reality. You see, all the problems that Aaron had with his perfection and mortality and permanence, all those problems, they were taken care of in Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says. It says that Aaron gave us the shadow of imperfection. But Christ gives us the reality of perfection. Did Jesus Christ ever have to take a bull and sacrifice for himself? No, he did not. Because he had no sin. Hebrews says he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. First John says, in him there is no sin. Jesus is better than Aaron. Secondly, Aaron gave us the shadow of mortality. But Jesus gives us the reality of immortality. Do you know why? Because when Jesus came to earth, God was coming to earth. The God-man Jesus Christ. Now, did Jesus die? Yes, he did. He died on that cross. And he continued under the power of death for three days. But we know what the Bible says. The grave couldn't hold him. The stone couldn't keep him in that grave. That on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And he conquered death. You just had an Easter sermon come into a Christmas sermon. You see what just happened? The resurrection has everything to do with Jesus' ability to continually intercede for us. While Aaron would die and couldn't intercede, Christ is alive and continually intercedes for his people to the Father. Jesus is better than Aaron. And number three, Aaron's shadow gave us a lack of permanence. But Christ, Christ gives us a permanent work. Take your Bibles, open to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 12. We're going to look at a verse that Krista read a moment ago. Again, this is another one of those verses you need to have memorized, locked into your mind. This verse will unlock so many of the what people might call mysteries of the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus 16. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. It says this, speaking of Jesus, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
according to this verse, how many times did Jesus sacrifice himself? Once. Once. How many times did Aaron sacrifice? Once a year, every year, over and over and over. How many times did the priest after him do it? Once a year, every year, over and over and over. Their work wasn't permanent. But this verse right here says Jesus sacrificed once for all time. Once for all, he secured for us eternal redemption. You know, those Old Testament priests were probably asking, when will I be finished? When will things be finished? Jesus proclaimed it on the cross. Because right before he died, what did he say? It is finished. You see, Aaron was only a shadow Jesus Christ was the reality and the finished work that he gives us. The final point this morning, the final shadow in reality is the shadow of bulls and goats and the reality of the sacrifice and the forgiveness of Christ. Going back two weeks, Hopefully you were here two weeks ago because I'm referring to that sermon a lot. Do you remember when we talked about prophecy and we talked about the subject and the object of prophecy? I gave you a sentence. The boy kicked the ball. Do you remember that? And we said in that sentence there was a subject and an object. The subject was the boy and the object was the ball. And we learned that there's a difference between the subject and the object, the boy and the ball, that one is not the other. And we said that the Old Testament prophets were like that. They were the subject of the sentence, but they were never the object of the sentence. They were the revealers, but they were never the revealed. But we learned that Jesus Christ was different. That Jesus Christ is both the subject and the object of prophecy. That He is God's revealer and He is God's revealed. He is the truth giver and He is the truth. He is He gives us the Word of God, and He is the living Word of God. He is subject and object. I want you to know that the priesthood, it's no different. It's no different for Jesus, and it's no different for the Old Testament priests. Let me explain. The Old Testament teaches us that the priests of the Old Testament, they were just the subject of the priesthood, but they were never the objects. Yes, they came with the testimony of the people behind them to God, but they never offered up themselves, did they? They were never the object of the priesthood. You see, when the priest came into the Holy of Holies, we recalled this a moment ago, what was in his hands? He had something in his hands. It was the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but he had it. He had something in his hands. He was the subject, but the object was in his hands. And he would walk into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle seven times on the mercy seat the object that he brought in. Never once do you read in the Old Testament that the priest went into the Holy of Holies and offered up himself. Never once did the subject become the object. But when you read about Jesus... And you read that verse we read just a moment ago, and I'll read it again. Hebrews 9, 12, listen to it. He entered once for all into the holy places. Here it is. 
not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Beloved, when Jesus Christ, your great high priest and my great high priest, when he entered into the Holy of Holies, what was in his hands? Nothing. There was no blood of bulls or goats in his hands. Why? Because Hebrews says the blood of goats and calves can't cover sin. So you might ask, and why did all those Old Testament priests bring in the blood of goats and calves? Why do we have to go through all that? Why do we have to read all that? What does that even mean? Here's what it means. It was a shadow. It was a shadow that pointed you to a greater reality. The blood of bulls and calves were a shadow of a greater blood that was to come. And it reminds you when John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what's amazing about Jesus is this, is that when Jesus walks into the Holy of Holies, he has nothing in his hands. But we see him throw himself on the mercy seat. We see Jesus spill his own blood. We see his hands pierced, his body pierced, his feet pierced, and his blood was poured out on the mercy seat for you and for me. Why? Because all the blood of those animals never once covered sin. They pointed you to the one who would take away your sin. And we can say it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Beloved, when we examine the blood of Jesus in the scriptures, here's what we find. We find that Acts 20 says, the church of God was purchased by the blood of Jesus. First Peter says, we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Revelation 5, we are purchased for God with his blood, men from every tribe. Romans 3, God displayed Jesus as a propitiation by his blood. 1 John says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. Ephesians 1 says we have redemption through his blood. Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And Colossians 1 says we are reconciled and have peace with God through his blood. The bulls, the goats, the calves, they were just a shadow. A shadow that pointed us to the reality of the blood of Jesus Christ. As we conclude this morning, I know that we're in a time of Advent. We're at a time of the year when we remember that Christ was put in a cradle. But I want to tell you something that my old Baptist pastor told me about 30 years ago. When you remember the cradle... Remember the cross. You can't separate the two. Because Jesus came to that cradle in order to spill his blood on that cross. There was a purpose in mind. And that purpose was for him to shed his blood for your sins and mine. And my question to you today is not do you know this story? I want to know, do you know the subject and object of the story? Do you know the subject and object of the priesthood? Do you know the person of Jesus Christ? Because he came to this earth at Christmas time so many years ago 
and was put in that cradle so that he could shed his blood on the cross for you. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. The Holy Spirit would grip your heart and bring you to faith and repentance. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe upon Jesus and you will be saved. And if you're here today as a believer, I pray that you would be able to see the Old Testament the way Jesus teaches us to see the Old Testament, through the lens of Christ. That you can understand Leviticus 16 and the whole Old Testament through his completed life work. He gave us so many shadows, whether it's the tabernacle or or Aaron or bulls and goats. And he fulfilled all of those with his presence, with his priesthood, with his sacrifice, and with his forgiveness of your sins. That's why he came, the Lord Jesus, our great high priest. And he, that curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place, do you remember that curtain? The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, that was ripped in two, which teaches you and me that he now gives us full access to God, that we don't need a priest to come on our, an earthly priest to come on our behalf because we've got a great heavenly high priest who came and who ripped that curtain in two and has made sacrifice complete for you and for me. Let's praise God for his gift of Christ. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, We come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know this sermon was probably a little longer than most, Lord. But I pray that you would take the word that that you have delivered to us today. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, may we see the work of Christ completed. Even in his priesthood. You gave us so many pictures, so many shadows in the Old Testament. And Lord, you have completely fulfilled them in the reality of Christ. And we praise you for your work on our behalf. You did what none of those earthly priests could have done. If there's one here who doesn't know you, again, we ask. And they come to you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.